Sisters and brothers in Christ, grace and peace to you this day from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. As many of you know, I recently returned from a trip to Columbia, South America with a group from First Lutheran. And when we travel to Columbia, we don't go there to build things. I mean, we don't build structures or paint walls. Of course, we would do that if we were asked. But the gist of the mission experience to Columbia is to build relationships. It's to learn about the church and how it's functioning in that place, and especially what has happened in the lives of people there. When we're there, there's the stark reality that these beautiful people have certainly lived through incredible time and experiences in this beautiful country that has been gripped by guerrilla warfare for 55 years. The children, youth, young adults, anybody under the age of 50 has never known a time in their lives when this threat was not present. But on this particular trip, this time, we experienced something very unexpected. Our group was visiting one of the Lutheran schools in a town called Sogamoso. It's about three and a half hours north of Bogota. Beautiful Andean mountain country. And half of our group went to an 11th grade classroom and the other half, including myself, went to a 10th grade classroom. And through the course of conversation, we talked about their dreams. Ways that they wanted to live their lives and things that they wanted to accomplish in their lives. Some told us that they wanted to be teachers. Some told us doctors, some engineers. Some wanted to work in government or international affairs. When I asked if anyone was going to be a professional athlete, the entire classroom pointed to this young man and said, he's gonna be a professional soccer player. And when I asked them if anyone was going to be a professional musician, they all pointed to this girl in the front row and they prompted her to sing for us. To which she pulled out her ukulele and sang for us a version of the Jason Mraz song, I'm Yours, completely in Spanish, so I didn't, re I didn't know most of it, but I recognized the tune. But after we had had this discussion, another young girl raised her hand and she said, can you talk to us about school shootings in the United States? And in light of our news this week, this hit home. I took a deep breath and we waged into this conversation. It was an amazing conversation. The insight of 14 and 15 year olds to engage in this discussion and more so that they would ask the tough questions that they did was most amazing to me. And then came something truly unexpected. A young boy raised his hand and he said, how can we help you? I was floored. The insight of a 14 or 15 year old boy to have that kind of understanding to make a comment that comes from such a compassionate posture and love and unity to me was almost completely overwhelming because as I was thinking about that, I thought, you understand something that our culture in America doesn't get. He spoke from a posture of the value of life and for the value of each human being. Again, I was floored. Those children understood that as individuals, they couldn't stand. But together, that they could accomplish 
so much more, together in unity, together in support for one another, not saying that they were all clones, but having respect for one another. None of them said, I want to be wealthy. None of them said, I want more than the other. They encouraged and supported one another. As I was thinking about our text for this week, this is what came to my mind. Because as we engage Jesus' teaching for us today, maybe you, like me, are a little bit pinched by this text. In fact, I really think that it challenges our sensibilities as Americans. Jesus' teaching challenges the core of our thinking that many of our ways are selfish in that we like to acquire what we have, seeking more, how or how not we share those things that we acquire and the blessings that we get from God. Now in our text, someone challenges Jesus to become a probate mediator, asking Jesus to intervene in an inheritance dispute. Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Now in that time, the firstborn of the family would inherit all of the family's wealth. But as we learned from our study of the book of Ruth, if we were paying attention, along with inheritance came great responsibility. It was also his job to take care of the family. The heir not only received the wealth of the father, but the obligation that came with it. And now Jesus is being asked to change that expectation, and along with it to change tradition and family systems of the time. But he knows better than to take the bait. This last week during the Wednesday Bible study, we discussed how often these inheritance and estate situations that become challenging are generally never driven by anything less than greed or selfishness, and rarely leads to family unity or harmony. But this question posed to Jesus points to an even deeper issue that existed then and we still struggle with today. It not only points to our selfishness, but it also points to our own doubt that God provides all that we need and that he has bestowed immense abundance on us. Not enough, excess. And yet we often operate from a posture of scarcity. It also challenges our understanding of what it means to be a child of God, in that Christ is the firstborn son to the Father, and he has received his inheritance, and we too, in our sinfulness, like to say, give me my share now. For he has been called to take care of the family. When my great-grandmother was alive, we used to call this thinking of having to store up Depression-era mentality. She never got rid of anything that could serve any purpose in the future. This morning on the way out of worship, Lyle Eisner stopped me and said his mother had a box that said, string, too short to use. <laughs> and she never threw it away. I spent summers on my great-grandmother's farm down by Elsester, South Dakota, and I remember 
there being many farm implements that sat in the grove. Never got used. And I remember my, my grandmother saying that she had to keep these in the event that she needed them for the future. Now, she was in her mid-80s when she made this comment. There was no way she was going to take up farming at that point. But she could not see past keeping it for an unexpected time that she couldn't see, maybe needing them someday. Now, this is, of course, a very simple example of the contagious thinking that happens when we fail to remember that God gives us blessing and calls us not to hoard it but to share. And this parable specifically speaks into the parts of our lives where, again, we fail to trust God, that he provides all that we need, and that we attempt, actually, in this, to take control of our own future, our own security. What our lives may look like, and more specifically, how your dreams may come to fruition. Ultimately, it speaks into our lack of faith that God is ultimately in control. And we go through our lives working hard, not only to get enough, but usually earning excess. The excess that we try to convince ourselves is used to stave off those situations in our lives that bring us anxiety and bring us worry. Excess that will help us to provide comfort and security as we age. Excess that will provide for our families as they grow and go out into the world. Access to ensure that as we age, we can receive the best health care available. And ultimately, to ensure that we are cared for when we cannot care for ourselves. Now, many of you are generous with your excesses. Money, possessions, even the commodity of time and presence. And yet, there are many that continue in the mindset that enough is never enough. And that the focus of our toil each day is to really pacify this burden that we feel by not having enough. Which in the end is really only to serve the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. And so I ask, where is your trust today? Is it in the stuff you have acquired and stored up in your life? Or is it in the one who gave his life for yours? Because in the end, you came into this world naked, and you will go out of this world naked. And it is that time in between where we get this understanding, where we get to understand that Christ tells us that richness is not found in the things that we do or the things that we acquire, but richness is in putting all of our trust in him. He even calls our toil of each day foolishness. Because when your life is demanded of you, those things do not matter. Christ's word over you does. The 20th century theologian Karl Barth believed that our text from Colossians today was one of the most perfect sermons in all of Scripture. Because it quickly gets to the heart of the matter in that when you have been baptized, you have died to the world. 
And that your identity is no longer in what you have or what you do, but it has been made one with Jesus Christ. Because you see, it's only when you're dead that your potential to make yourself better actually goes away. And Christ can finally do something with you now. Out of your death, he can raise you to new life. To trust in him, to trust in God. Through the promise given in baptism and today at Christ's table, we get to gather around this word that gives us this freedom again from the demands that cause this dysfunctional thinking in our lives, this mindset that is the perpetual pursuit of earthly gain, not only for ourselves, but then it frees us actually to live out unity, support, that we can encourage one another Again, not that you would all become clones of ideal thinking or like thinking, but that we can appreciate the idea of the other and their opinion and their experience in this life. Now, Christ is not saying don't have a savings account or a 401k because Scripture tells us in many places the blessing that has come from those that manage from abundance with prudence. But he is challenging our continued mindset of individualism, of the all-for-one mentality that divides us from each other and ultimately divides us from God, which perpetuates our own greed and idolatrous thinking and then prevents you from truly being free, recognizing your place in the family. Christ is always working us from death to new life. And that is, having been made one with Jesus Christ, you were called through the gospel to live in the freedom of the forgiveness of sins and to live out the gospel to your neighbor. And how does he tell us to do that? Well, when you clothed me, when you gave me something to drink, when you fed me, when you visited me when I was sick, when you visited me when I was in prison, when you do this to the least, you have done it to me. And so I ask you, what are your dreams? Better yet, what are the places in your life that, that God is calling you into something that is completely unexpected? Trust now that God gives you your good and daily bread, all that you need. But go and share his abundant blessing with all he will call to know him through you. Tell them of your knowledge that Jesus Christ has come to take away the sin of these people, taking away the burden that brings freedom, and with it unity and hope to the lives of people that so desperately need to hear it. And so too that you may face each day trusting that God is in control. This is what it means to show, store up riches with God. That others may know the love of God. That others may know freedom from the forgiveness of sins. And that others are made new in Jesus Christ. This is the ultimate dream come true. Thanks be to God. Amen.